0: Welcome to the Pocket Paramedic Podcast where we're here to help Student paramedics feel more confident in that transition from lectures to paramedic placement. So today we're going to talk about some zebra traps that I like to call them, which is things that we put in place in line with worsening advice before we leave a patient if we want to non-convey this patient. Um, So I'm going to set this one out in a little scenario for you, just so you can get a little bit of background on um, the reason why we might want to leave this sort of advice. Um, And the reason we do it is to protect ourselves and protect the patient. Um, so let's take uh, this scenario here. We've got a 32-year-old female and the job's come down as a category one and um, the highest priority, of course, we're agonal breathing. That's what it says on the MDT on your way to the job. So on, you get an update on the way and the patient is now unable to catch her breath and her inhalers are ineffective. So it's looking like she's maybe an asthmatic or COPD patient at this point, given her age at 32, probably more in the line of asthma. So, on arrival, you get to the job, you're met by your patient's partner who guides you through to the living room. Your patient, who let's call Sharon, appears well perfused, but she's breathing at a rapid rate and voicing the words, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, repeatedly. Luckily, you're with your regular crewmate today and they know how you like to approach this sort of job. Um, They pop on the SATS probe whilst you get your stethoscope out and... Have a quick listen of the chest just after you've checked the airway for any swelling or any obstruction. Um, Her airway is without compromise or swelling. Her breathing appears rapid, but it has equal chest rise and fall. You can't hear a wheeze, crackles or any sort of pleural rub, so there's no added sounds. And then you take a quick look at the monitor and you can see that the SATS probe is actually reading 100% on air. So despite this rapid breathing rate, you're happy with A and B. There's no obstruction and there's clear air entry going into the lungs. Your crewmate then continues with the observations and puts the blood pressure monitor on and starts doing a 12-lead ECG. Whilst you step back to gain a little bit more of a history now you know that A and B are nice and clear. Her partner, so Sharon's partner, informs you their son has received a positive COVID test back from school today. And Sharon's breathing difficulty started soon after she heard the news about this positive covid test. She does have a history of anxiety as well as asthma and at times a slight exacerbation of asthma can provoke her anxiety symptoms. After you assure Sharon that her body is receiving adequate oxygen, her respiratory rate begins to fall back into normal parameters. Her partner then begins to help coach her breathing, something you suspect he's done before. As the blood pressure cuff cycles through, you visualise it on the monitor and you can see that it's 134 over 88. And her ECG prints out with no abnormalities. So you're beginning to suspect anxiety is probably the cause over anything like asthma, given how she's presented, what your assessment's like, and the fact that it's starting to resolve on its own without any drug intervention. So as long as her symptoms revolve and there's no other red flag symptoms that you've uncovered in your assessment, do we think that hospital is the most appropriate way to go with this patient? So the answer is probably no in this hypothetical situation. I would definitely be looking at ways to manage this lady's anxiety rather than Whiskcroft Hospital. I don't think nebulizers are indicated because we've got her entry and we've got no wheeze, no other indications of asthma. And a breathing settled through breathing coaching rather than any other intervention. So we're looking like it's an anxiety patient and we need to manage her um, anxiety attacks. So you decided to leave this patient at home. Um, you give the GP a ring for a chat and see if there's any input that they could, they could, um, they could put in place. Like for example, medications or talking therapy stuff that might be available through the GP. Um, and the GP agrees with your preferred diagnosis of anxiety and after looking at the GP's notes, suggests an appointment for your patient to see the surgery to review her symptoms of anxiety and management. Great, so we've got this patient assessed, we've got a diagnosis, one that the GP agrees to, and we've even put a referral to the GP in place so she can go and attend an appointment in the near future to manage her symptoms um, in the long run. So you quickly wrap up your paperwork and you put the words worsening advice given just before you leave. Now do we think that's enough just putting worsening advice given? Because at the end of the day, what is worsening advice? Your patient do, do they know what worsening advice is? Does the person reading your PRF know what worsening advice is? Do you know, is there any evidence that you know what worsening advice is? So we need to elaborate and not just put this statement. We need to we need to put specifically what symptoms we've we need to look out for and if the patient develops any of these symptoms then they need to ring 999 or 111 or the gp um to manage these symptoms further so we need to put specific things in place so let's talk about what sort of um, advice we would put in place for a patient who's had breathing difficulties um, and it now appears like it's anxiety Um, so what? Let, let's go through some of the things that I would put down on my PRF to make sure that the patient is protected and you are protecting yourself. So here's how I'd word it out, put call 999 if the following symptoms occur. Any breathing difficulties or shortness of breath that cannot be resolved through breathing techniques. So this patient knows she has anxiety. She knows that she can coach her breathing back to normal. And a partner can help with that. So we're telling her if you do get breathing difficulties again and it can't be resolved through your breathing techniques, which, you know, work for you when you've got anxiety, then ring us back because it might be a asthma. It might be a pulmonary embolism. It might be something else that's caused it. So she's aware that if it can't be resolved, then she needs to ring an ambulance again so we can come and assess again. Um, then I've put if you hear an audible wheeze because that can often happen, especially in asthma patients, that the wheeze can be heard um within the room and not via, not necessarily just by a stethoscope, so an audible wheeze. Any chest tightness um associated with the breathing difficulties, which is sort of typical of, of your asthma where normally a chest tightness alongside the breathing difficulties suggests that the that the lungs are starting to struggle a little bit with your bronchodilation. Sorry bronchospasm. Um, if, If the patient gets any chest pain as well, so we've got breathing difficulties, shortness of breath that can't be resolved from breathing techniques, audible wheeze or chest tightness alongside the breathing difficulties, any chest pain. So we're ruling out that... Things like pulmonary embolisms can present as shortness of breath breathing difficulties and that you can get chest pain with that. We're, we're ruling out that a heart attack can cause breathing difficulties, shortness of breath and usually get chest pain with that. So we're looking at other symptoms that can cause these breathing difficulties and we're specifically putting them down under worsening the device. So chest pain is another one. Next one is breathing difficulties slash shortness of breath associated with pale, clammy and sweaty skin. So again, the, the when the skin becomes pale, clammy, sweaty, it's usually a sign there's something else going wrong it can be a sign of a myocardial infarction or pulmonary something that normally means the patient's quite unwell if she has them symptoms alongside breathing difficulties so that's another thing that she now knows she needs to look out for next one is any heart palpitations so you can describe that to sharon or this patient sharon like um, um an, an ability to feel your heart beating through your chest because not everybody knows what palpitations mean, so you can dumb down the word in a little bit and we're thinking of, of Cardiac arrhythmias here, which can cause breathing difficulties like SVT, fast AF, things of that nature. So, we're covering um, symptoms like that that can indicate cardiac arrhythmias. Coughing up blood, so that's another one for pneumonia or pulmonary embolism. Uh, lower limb pain, swelling, or discoloration. So, this is DVTs I'm specifically looking out for because if you get DVT and then you feel short of breath, then it could, that, that clot could have travelled up the bloodstream and ended up in your lungs and resulting in a pulmonary embolism. So we want to make sure she's on the lookout for things like DVTs because the risk is a PE. And then breathing difficulties associated with facial swelling or a rash or hives. So in this instance, I'm looking at allergic reactions, which can start to turn into anaphylactic reactions. And then we've got dizziness, shortness of breath, black, tarry schools or any vomiting of blood. So... Specifically, these symptoms are pointing towards a GI bleed or an internal bleed of sorts, which is now causing dizziness, shortness of breath, usually due to anemia because of the loss of blood, and um, hypovolemia as well because of the loss of blood. Black tarry stools is a stools is a sign that the, the there's blood in the in the stool, and um, which is a sign of internal bleeding. And vomiting blood again is another sign of internal bleeding. So now, once you've popped all that into your under your worst and the device section. The patient is more clear as to what they need to look out for. So let me summarise that. Now, there might be more that I might have missed, but just off the top of my head, that is what I would be included in my PRF underworsting advice for a patient similar to the one that I've outlined. So we have, Call 999 the following symptoms occur: Breathing difficulties that cannot be resolved through breathing techniques. An audible wheeze, chest tightness associated with the breathing difficulties. Any chest pain. Breathing difficulties associated with pale, clammy and sweaty skin. Heart palpitations. Coughing up blood lower limb pain, swelling or discoloration; breathing difficulties associated with facial swelling or hives and dizziness with shortness of breath, black tarry stools and any vomiting of the blood. So now this patient knows specifically what symptoms to look out for that she needs to call 999. Um, Any other symptoms we can probably we can give her advice to ring 111 or the GP and if they feel the need they can then refer back to an ambulance. So that's what we've covered and now our patient knows exactly what to look for and we can safely leave her at home after the GP refilled with adequate worsening advice given. If you're struggling to remember everything to include in worsening advice, head on over to NICE guidelines and type in something like breathing difficulties and you should get a lot of red flag symptoms associated with breathing difficulties through the NICE guidelines. Sometimes I use that while I'm um, non-complaining a patient just to make sure I've included everything that I need to be included. Um, Other things that you might be interested in, if you are struggling with your ECGs, I have a free PDF download. I'll put a and link in the show notes and basically it shows you how to identify a normal 12-lead ECG from start to finish and then you can start focusing more on the abnormalities and how to spot them so i'll leave a link in the show notes for that